There is a risk of loss in futures and options trading. We discuss profitability as it pertains to the business as a whole and not the hedging account specifically. The information contained in this publication is taken from sources believed to be reliable but is not guaranteed by FPC nor any other affiliates, subsidiary, or employee collectively referred to as FPC and is intended for the purpose of information and education only. Nothing therein should be considered as a trading recommendation by FPC. Past performance is not indicative of future results. Welcome to the Future Profits Podcast, hosted by Future Profits Consulting, where we help you understand future profit potential and how to capitalize. I'm Trevor Smith, uh, joined by Adam Hooker. Um, Today, we've got a special guest. I'll let Adam introduce here in a second, but our podcast topic today is going to be interest rate, environment, and risk. Uh, We think this is a relevant um, topic to be covering today, you know, in the current environment that we're in. There's been more more talk about um, interest rates out there in the, the mainstream media, and you might be wondering, you know, how that could apply to your operation. So thought it might be a timely, timely time to have um, this discussion. So with that, I'll turn, turn it over to Adam there to add anything for the reasoning of this podcast and then introduce Josh. Yeah, unless you've been living in the cave, you kind of understand that inflation is, is among us and interest rates are on the rise. And for that reason, we've got Josh Cannington here with StoneX today as our, our special guest to elaborate more on on the interest rate environment, maybe some of the tools that you can use to help mitigate that risk, some of the effects of interest rates, and and uh, maybe some other areas too that we we might find beneficial and maybe not. And so, Josh, I think we'll we'll give you a minute here to kind of give an introduction on yourself, your background, what you do, and then we'll start firing away with some questions. Yeah, happy to be here, guys. Thanks for having me. I. Um... My name is Josh Cannington, and I'm the VP of uh, Interest Rate Risk Management at StoneX. Uh, you know, essentially, I, I run the rates desk here at StoneX, but uh, I've had a pretty lengthy career trading interest rates, uh, trading derivatives. You know, I started my career actually in public finance, generally unrelated to interest rates, but still in that same category. You know, thinking about uh, you know municipal borrowers and, and muni bonds, and then I uh, jumped ship. Went over to derivatives, started trading derivatives um, for a commercial bank here in the southeast. You know, did that for a number of years, um, and then joined Stonex in, in 2021. Hit the ground running. I've loved it ever since. You know, the majority of our clients, Stonex, are in the agribusiness world. Uh, just good people, good people to work with, uh, and, and had some great conversations. And um, you know, happy to be here, guys. Inflation. I think you hit it. You know right out of, out of the gate here, you know, we haven't had inflation in 30 plus years. You know, we, we're living in a different world and things are changing quickly. Yeah, Josh, thanks for, thanks for taking the time to be with us here. Um, kind of want to start, just kind of lay the groundwork, I guess, if you could give just a quick overview of the current um, interest rate market, you know, where we've come from, call it in the past six months to where we are today and what kind of the outlook is there. Um, just, could you just kind of lay the groundwork there with a general overview? Yeah, happy to. You know, in in the rates world, the center of the universe, the the center of gravity for us will always be the Federal Reserve. You know, they set monetary policy. They set the federal funds rate. And um, how the rates market trades from there is, uh, you know, all dependent on on what they're doing and what they plan on doing. Right. So all of last year, you know, inflation's ticking up. The the Fed was more or less, you know, taking a blind eye to it. It, More uh, more like ignoring the problem versus addressing it. You know, they were still uh, 
keeping policy quite accommodative, even though uh, it was arguably not needed at that point. And, you know, over the last six months, we've seen uh, essentially a 180 degree reversal of that stance. You know, instead of ignoring inflation, they're going to do everything they can uh, to combat it and, and to bring it back down to earth. And they're a bit too late uh, in that fight. Uh, so, you know, over the last six months, over the last uh, really two months, you know, and March, March was the was the last meeting. They've taken the stance that they are not only going to raise interest rates to bring inflation back under control and back towards their two percent target. Uh, they're going to start doing it um, at, at record speeds, right? So, in a, in a normal environment, when inflation's uh, a bit too high, but there's a good labor market, the Fed's going to lift uh, the, the, their federal funds target range, uh, you know, by 025 percent at each meeting, you know, it's says 25 basis points. And uh, the next meeting will be uh, in May. And in, in we're, we're looking for a, a 50 basis point rate hike in May. So they're going to start raising rates twice as fast as they normally would Is that because, because they're so behind the ball here. Okay, that was a question I was going to ask you. Is that because they, got, they were late to recognize that inflation was a real issue? And so now the instead of a little bit smaller incremental moves, they're going to take a little more drastic moves on interest rates? Yeah, they have to. It, it's it's like they're trying to save face at this point. They have a is arbitrary two percent target for inflation, and at the moment, inflation is running roughly four times as high. You know, CPI is is north of eight percent. So at this point, to to save some face and, and to save some kind of a credibility that they have in the marketplace, they're going to start raising rates very quickly, uh, because you know if 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 using monetary policy to control the business cycle uh, was put into an analogy. I like to use like the Fed is, is driving a car here. And when they're pushing on that gas pedal, that means rates are low. Uh, they're buying treasuries and they're being as, as accommodative to lending as they can be, right? They want people to lend, they want business to, businesses to invest, they want businesses to hire and that, and that supports the economy. And then the opposite is when they're slamming on the brakes and that's when rates are above neutral or, or rates are starting to rise. Uh, and they want to slow some of that spending and lending down. Last year, inflation was skyrocketing in the great labor market, yet they were still you know, pushing on the gas pedal, thinking that the road was going uphill, but in fact, it was actually leveling off and going down. So now we've, we've kind of run out of, out of control here, and they've realized that. So uh, they're starting to lift their foot off that gas pedal, and now they're going to start using the brake to, uh, to start slowing things down a bit. Um, how did we get to where it was so out of control, in your opinion? That's a good question. You know, inflation over the last 30 years is, is generally being non-existent, you know, you know, maybe hit 3% over the last 30 years, one time. And the biggest difference here is that uh, the, you know, goods inflation uh, is actually now positive. The last roughly in the nineties, goods inflation in the U S um, turned negative. We saw deflationary goods uh, over in the U S since uh, the nineties, you know, think about, Jobs going overseas, uh, productivity uh, going to China, uh, technology improving automation, you name it. You know, the, the cost of manufacturing goods in the U.S. came down. So we really never seen it, it really fought inflation for a long time because we've seen goods inflation so low. Uh, you know, but then come 2020, you lock people indoors. Goods, the demand for goods skyrockets, right? And the supply chain wasn't ready for that businesses pare back inventories uh, and they just, we weren't ready for this wave of consumer spending 
you know, goods versus services, which tilted the uh, tilted inflation towards the, towards the uh, the higher end of, of the expectation range. And inflation from uh, the classroom setting generally comes from two sources: as demand and supply. You know, in the U.S., uh, we've had plenty of consumer demand driving prices up, uh, but we've never seen the supply side get uh, impacted like we we did in 2020. So it's been more or less the perfect storm where we get inflation from demand and we get inflation from supply and together. And here we are. And it starts to get, you know, once inflation gets started, it's really hard to start slowing it down again. You know, as if people expect inflation in the future, well, maybe they pull forward some of that demand now. And that just exacerbates inflation, which only leads to higher inflation expectations in the future. And it's, it's almost like a self-fulfilling prophecy is once inflation starts rolling and starts increasing and starts increasing, it's really hard to start bringing it back down. And, and now the Fed's got a, a battle ahead of it to, uh, to like, do their best to bring it uh, back at least towards their target range, if not like back down to earth. It kind of feels like we're there today, doesn't it? I mean, if everybody's price is going up for everything and I don't know that the supply chain price has really gone up as much as, Inflation is the talk, and so I'm going to inflate my prices. Is that a real thing, or is that just something that uh, feels like it's real? No, that's a that's a real thing, and it's it's a good point. You know, the Fed can raise rates. You know, one, two, three, four percent. Is that really going to you know, solve you know the supply side of this this issue that we have? You know, is is the Fed going to start opening up semiconductor plants to alleviate the, the supply problems in the, the F one hundred and fifty? You know. Uh, assembly line probably not right they're not going to hire more truckers they can only do so much and uh, raising rates uh, impacts the demand side of this inflation problem but it does nothing to the supply side so uh, it, it's largely expected that inflation is, is going to take you know years to actually come back down to a normal range before it's all said and done yeah josh we've pretty much you know hammered on the inflation when you think about um you know, the interest rates is what else, I guess, impacts interest rates outside of just the Fed changing it? Or is that the, the main driver? I mean, obviously, they're looking at the overall health of the economy outside of, you know, just inflation. But is there anything else that weighs on, you know, is there a supply demand side to interest rates that um, impacts the rates at all? Or is it pretty much just what the Fed sets and we adjust to that? It depends. You know, you look at short term rates, uh, it's going to be more or less largely driven by the Fed. Uh, think about like the two-year uh, two-year Treasury note, three-year. They're really short end uh, of what's called the yield curve. Those prices, those yields are 100% uh, driven by Fed policy. How the Fed thinks about raising rates over the next two to three years. And then the further out you go, maybe three years, four years, five years, they call that the, the belly of the yield curve. And, you know, kind of medium-term rates. You know, yes, it's still driven by the Fed policy and, and where the market and the Fed thinks rates will ultimately go four or five years out. But you start adding in variables like, um, you know, you know, what's the risk sentiment in the market? Um, you know, how, how optimistic or pessimistic is the market in general over, uh, you know, the economic outlook over that period of time? And then if you go even further out, seven-year rates, 10-year rates, and then even the 30-year Treasury bond, you know, it's, you're just adding more variables into the equation. You know, it, at the end of the day, treasuries uh, and U.S. government debt is, is the safe haven asset of the world. So, you know, when, when things aren't looking rosy, when you open that door and people want to put money under the mattress, 
uh, they're going to sell sell stocks and buy bonds, um, and, that, and that typically moves treasuries lower, uh, specifically long term treasuries lower. So, yes, you know it's it's all you know related to the Fed, but the further out you go, uh, the more variables you add, uh, and, the, and if you go really far out, like 10, 30 year bonds uh, and rates, those are, are more or less driven by the Fed plus. You know, what's the temperature of the room? You know, is everyone kind of optimistic, you know, put on risk, buy, buy some stocks, uh, sell bonds or do the opposite? So it's, you know, there's a confluence of variables, but the Fed at the end of the day is, is really the, the driver and how, it, uh, how the business cycle uh, is looking for the market. So you talked about kind of the belly of the, the market being that three to five year loans. What's the, what's the yield curve look like typically and what's the yield curve look like today? So and maybe explain the yield curve to the listeners. Yeah, it's a funky word. Uh, it's uh, if you could make a graph, right? You know, a y-axis and an x-axis on the on the bottom, that horizontal axis. Let's just call that time, and then the vertical axis. Uh, we'll use rates or yields. And uh, if you could say, what's a two-year treasuries at? You know, you know, two fifty. And then if you go out a little further, the three years at, and you make these dots, right, where all the treasuries are trading at, and the yields for each of them. And if you just connected those dots with a line, you'll come up with a curve. It, um, and that and that curve is called the yield curve. And it, it, it more or less paints a story for how the market is thinking about risk, how the market's thinking about where, what the Fed is going to do next. And you can kind of generate, you know, some, some logical conclusions priced in what's, what's not, you know, and how the market is thinking about, you know, what's going to happen next and, and what they're preparing for. Okay. How does that look, the, um, how does that look today compared and to the curve? Like and the curve the past, again. Gosh. So how how does that look today compared to the past? Or is pretty, it similar? It is. Uh, it depends on the, on the scope of it, but it's more or less a very flat curve. Uh, for example, two year rates and ten year rates um, are trading very close to each other. They're, they're very close. Uh, you know, yields are, are more or less right on top of each other. Um, but you know. Yeah, there's been a lot of talk about the you know, yield curve inversion. Uh, is that a, a sign of a recession, you know, on the horizon? And um, I think that conversation, there, there's a lot of, uh, you know, people that just want to grab a headline and, and it just and add some fear mongering to it. Um, but the, the spread between the treasury and the senior treasury is, is by and large the, uh, the most common uh, metric in gauging what the shape of that yield curve is. Meaning, uh, if two-year treasuries are lower than ten-year treasuries, that's considered a, a steep yield curve. If they're equal to each other, it's a flat yield curve. And if two-year treasuries are above ten years, then it's what's called inverted. And for a brief moment, uh, a few weeks back, we saw uh, that inverted yield curve happen, where the two-year treasury traded just above ten-year, and uh, and it just like if if people had like article news articles just sitting on their computer waiting to send, as soon as that inverted uh, everyone started blasting uh the headlines with you know yield curve inversion look out for a recession and um i think i think some of that fear was just a bit overdone because statistically you know if you look back historically yes the bond market is great at predicting recessions and predicting the business cycle but it's not the two to the 10-year treasury that that is really uh significant in being a good predictor it's it's the three-month t-bill and the 10-year so it's a much longer viewpoint of the yield curve. And, uh, and, and today, in that, that spread, it is more or less 200 basis points apart. So we're still very far 
from any red red flags and alarms going off about a, a recession around the corner. Uh, but that's but that's where we're at today. We have a very flat yield curve, and um, you know it, that has a lot of pros and cons to it. And uh, specifically for for borrowers looking to you know grab some fixed rates in the market before the for the Fed raises rates, uh, that means uh, you know five year rates are equal to seven year rates. Seven year rates are equal to ten year rates. It's very cheap to borrow for for a longer period of time than historically has been. That's what I was going to ask. So when those are close together, that just means that our interest rates are steady for a period of time. What what else does it signal, I guess, from economic outlook? Or is there anything with that related to that curve being flat now versus usually, you know, it's an upward sloping curve and sometimes it's inverted. What does flat tell us, I guess? Yeah, it's trading very flat right now, not necessarily because the economic outlook is bad. You know, I think arguably we have the best labor market we've ever seen in the U.S. economy. It's uh, it, it, it's all down to where the market thinks uh, the Fed is going to raise rates uh, and how far and then what happens thereafter. So we all know inflation is a problem. The market knows inflation is a problem and so does the Fed. So an aggressive hiking or raising of rates by the Fed um has, has basically front-loaded all of those expectations to two to three-year rates. So those that short end of the curve has all of the rate hikes priced into it, and then thereafter, there's no more rate hikes priced in. So just because of, of what the Fed's doing with monetary policy, all of that you know, you know, planned action is basically priced into just a two- to five-year part of the curve, and that's what's really flattened it out. So it's, I think the economic outlook is still pretty rosy, all expectations have been pushed forward to the front end of the curve. No, that makes sense. So with that kind of in mind, I guess, talk to our listeners, what should, you know, someone that's farming, what should they be um, concerned about, I guess, regarding interest rates in today's environment? Yeah, I think, I think the cost of capital is something that can be easily ignored uh, in, in the risk management conversation. Uh, but I think that is no longer the case. You know, if, Yes, interest rates are going to be rising, uh, but you know, even though the market thinks interest rates will, will top out at three percent, I think that's a, still a very conservative estimate of, of ultimately where the Fed will have to take rates uh, in this cycle. Uh, you know, I think four or five percent is is a more realistic expectation. And in the face of four or five percent floating rates, um, you know, you have to start thinking about how much does that impact the bottom line. You know, if, if my operating line starts um, cost, you know, goes up four or 500 basis points, what does that do to my profitability, right? Uh, and being proactive and kind of controlling for those costs up front ultimately will save you money and, uh, and, and give you a, a better, uh, you know, night's sleep knowing that you have a, an interest expense to budget for. So, at that so point, from that perspective. At that 4 to 5% level, Josh, what kind of do you expect that yield curve to be flat again, or would you expect there to be some carry from the the shorter term to the longer term if we get back to those levels? Yeah, I think if uh, if the Fed takes rates uh, north of four percent, yeah, it, at a minimum the the curve will be very flat. You know, if if ten year Treasuries are trading at four percent and where we have an extremely flat curve, that's going to draw in a lot of buyers and a lot of attention, especially foreign buyers. You know, the you know, best credit in the world is, is, is the U.S. government. And it has a 10-year bond yielding 4%. Yeah, you, there's going to be a line out the door, people trying to buy that stuff up. So it's if the, if the Fed takes rates north of 4, uh, 4%, 
that is them slamming on the brakes and that would cause a very flat uh, curve, if not some inversion. So if somebody's sitting here listening today and they hear what you just said about, you know, 3%, but you think that's still plenty conservative and you wouldn't be surprised to see it go to 5%, that naturally leads the conversation to, okay, if, if the opportunity is out there that I could do something about this, right? And, and 3% is something that I could protect, you know, for a period of time and the, the, worry, I guess, is that that rate could go higher, could go, you know, 5% or north of that. Is there anything that mm-hmm. um, people can do to protect themselves from that rate increase um, looking out into time? I think, um, I think now is a great time to, to do a, uh, do a check-in with, with how much exposure, you know, the business as a whole has to floating rates increasing, right? You know, I, I think it's easy to look at, you know, one, piece of debt and saying how much risk is here or versus a term loan, how much risk is there, but really look at the whole picture. Uh, like a, like a doctor would an annual physical, how much risk is on the table? You know, maybe, maybe all of the debt is fixed, you know, and, and that's great. You can sleep at night. You have a, a known interest expense to budget for yet. You've missed out on rates being at zero for the last two years. You know, the opposite is true. Maybe, maybe all of it's floating uh, and there's a ton of risk on the table. Maybe you need to do something about it, but you know, if maybe it's 50, 50, where you're, you know, have equal benefit if rates are low and have equal protection if rates rise and then maybe lean more fixed if, if you're pretty risk averse, or maybe you lean more floating. If uh, you know, you want some risk on the table here, it's, it's, it's really up to the borrower of how much risk the, the business can handle uh, and then leaning the scales in either direction. Uh, but I think it's important to, you know, again, take a take a, a broad picture of the risk profile, not just how much risk is on the operating line, how much risk is on my equipment note, how much risk is on my, my land term loan. Uh, you know, take that 30,000 foot view, look down at the situation and, and risk and assess the risk uh, situation. And maybe, you know, if, if there is floating rate debt out there, there's products that we use to uh, that lay on top of it to take risk off the table. And, um, and that's, and that's something I work with our borrowers and our clients to do every day and and come up with, with the right solution, look at how much risk is out there and then, and then formulate uh, a bespoke solution that that kind of fits their needs. So you talk about, you know, the, the risk that we've got currently with our current debt, right? You would, you would say also we should be factoring in if we're going to, you know, if we're looking to grow from where we are today, there might be a larger debt that we're going to have in, in five years or something like that, right? You would want to factor that in there as well. And then is there, with that in mind, I guess, is there a minimum amount um, of debt that someone would have to have in order to protect that risk um, using the tools that you've got available? Yeah. You know, with, with interest rate swaps, um, we're regulated by, uh, by Dodd-Frank. So um, the minimum, you know, it's not necessarily a number set in stone, uh, but a million dollars is, is typically where we, we look to start the conversation because uh, under Dodd-Frank, um, everyone that, that enters into an interest rate swap or an interest rate hedging product has to be known uh, as what's called an eligible contract participant. And to get that title, you need to, uh, uh, you know, jump through some hoops and, and meet different, um, different hurdles, the smallest of which is having a million in net worth. So looking at a million dollars in debt is not necessarily a number set in stone, but it's a good uh, starting place to think about. You know, it may be if you have a million dollars in, in debt, you, then you probably qualify as an ECP. But that's typically where we start the conversation is, is hedging products starting with a million of uh, principal outstanding. 
And just to be clear, you know, when you're talking about rates being at zero and, and there's listeners out there going, well, hell, my short-term rate isn't at zero. There is a spread that lending institutions put on between the rates that you're talking about and the market that you work in and what the actual interest rate being applied to the notes is for people in the real world that are gaining access to that. Correct? Mm-hmm. That's, that's exactly right. Yeah. You know, a bank can go uh, go to the Federal Reserve and, and borrow it at Ted Funds, but they sure aren't going to go around and lend it to anyone. Um, so floating rate notes are typically priced like a, like a floating uh, index plus a spread. Um, you see indexes like uh, like LIBOR or Prime uh, and, and SOFR being the newest one that kind of takes over LIBOR next year. And then the bank tax on, you know, one, two, three, four percent on top of that index. Um for that credit risk. So it's, that's typically how floating rate loans are, are structured and how they're priced. So if I'm listening out there and, and I'm thinking I'm, I'm a farmer driving in a tractor right now and I'm like, you know what, I got my operating note is at, uh, let's say 4% right now. And if, and if Josh is talking about, you know, interest rates being up at four or 5%, you're likely looking at a spread of maybe three to three and a half, four 4% over the rate you're talking about. So you got an operating line that's carrying a seven to 8% interest rate potentially, which is twice what it's been for several years. That's right. And uh, I would, I would argue that in the last few months we've seen um, the most volume ever uh, with, with people trying to trying to proactively protect against that risk. Yeah, I would say that the most common useful tool uh, to use for, for borrowers is it's what's called a interest rate swap. It's a, it's an OTC product that can be customized uh, in, in regards to the dollar amount uh, is all discretionary. Uh, the start date can be changed to whatever uh, you desire, the maturity date. I describe it as like a, it's like Play-Doh, right? If, if you've got a specific piece of floating rate debt, you can build a swap to mirror exactly how it is and, uh, and offset that risk with a fixed rate. And, uh, and, that's, and that's what's been happening. You know, people are, are well aware of interest rates rising. You know, every six weeks we get a Fed meeting and every six weeks there should be expected uh, for them to raise rates um, again. So it's it's important to be proactive and, uh, and get out in front of uh, higher rates before they move uh, move out of hand. So when you're talking about that product is like Play-Doh, a swap is just it's the name of the the instrument, the tool you're using to help mitigate your risk. OTC is an over the counter product, so you can kind of craft it any way you want to. If I'm an operation out there and I've got a $2 million exposure, let's say, and you're talking about fixing that rate, maybe explain just a little bit more what you mean by that, fixing it for how long. So if I think next year I'm going to have 30% more operating cost, I'm sitting at a $2 million line today, you know, next year I need $2.5 million, maybe more. How do I protect myself from a couple of things? Mm-hmm. You know, I've got the inflationary cost pressure coming, so the quantity I need is going up, but also my interest rate. Mm-hmm. How how could someone protect themselves in that situation? Well, let me let's talk about what a swap is because I think that would be important to uh, set a foundation. I, you know, at the end of the day, yes, there are OTC products, um, but finance. I think finance people with a lack of creativity just don't know how to do things. So you know, a swap is you know you swap interest payments back and forth over time, and um, you know, two million dollar note and you're paying uh, interest on that note monthly uh, based on $2 million, you build a swap to you know, pay you that same amount of interest that you're paying on your note, uh, calculate in the same manner in exchange for a fixed rate. So if you do that swap, you're receiving a dollar 
uh, in floating rate interest, you're turning around paying a dollar on your loan. Uh, if rates go up to six, seven percent, you're going to receive six, seven dollars from your swap. Turn around, pay six, seven dollars on your loan. Uh, so it, a swap in, in essence takes your uh, floating rate risk in exchange for a fixed rate at the end of the day. If you could just run, and, through, uh, run through that one more time, you know, Josh. Being, we had being, a we had a little computer glitch going on here, and you kind of broke up. And I want to make sure. I don't know if that came through clear or not. If it didn't, we'll clean it up. But I want you to explain that one more time because right at the guts of it, we kind of had a little digital. At least in our ears, we had some digital yeah. noise. So run, run through that one more time, if you would. Sure, sure. So uh, explaining interest rate swaps, you know, mechanically, like how how would, how do these function as a hedge against rising rates, right? Like it's a pretty common question. You know, how do these things work? And swaps are separate transactions and separate products from the underlying loan. Uh, it's not like these things can go in and start changing loan docs uh, from the lender or anything like that. So a separate product that more or less lays on top of the debt. And how it works is it's designed to pay the borrower or pay you the same amount of interest that you're turning around and paying on your loan. So if you are paying $1 of interest every month on your floating rate operating line, that swap is designed to pay you $1 of interest as well in exchange for, let's say, $2 of fixed interest. Maybe up front, yeah, that fixed rate is a dollar more. Uh, but let's say rates rise and now you're paying $3 on your operating line. That swap is still going to pay you that same $3 and only ask for two. Let's say rates skyrocket to 7 8% and you're paying 7 $8 on that line. That swap is going to pay you 7 $8 and only ask for two. And that's how it really works. It's, it's, it's reimbursing the same amount of interest that you're paying on your loan and only asking for a fixed rate. Um, and, and that's how, it, how they really work. And they're nice because... The dollar amount of these swaps can be customized. So let's say let's say you have ten million dollars on that line, and say, well, I only want you know half of it fixed. We'll do a five million dollar swap, right? Or let's say you have a you know an operating line you plan on selling in the next three years. We'll just just do a three year swap then, right? So there's they can be customized and they can be used to to hedge risk, uh, but more of a customized you know perspective. So it's like. If a borrower at the end of the day wants a fixed rate, they have, they have there's really a, there's really two options for you to go about doing that. You can go to the bank and say, "Hey bank, I want a fixed rate loan." They'll give it to you, or you can say, "Hey bank, I want a floating rate loan," and use a swap to get your fixed rate. And uh, at the end of the day, you know, going with a variable rate loan and swap gives you a whole lot more flexibility than you do if you just wanted a fixed rate loan. It, it's like you know, if you wanted a suit. Do you just grab it off the rack or do you get a suit and you get it tailored to specifically how you want it? And, and that's how swaps kind of fit into the risk management conversation. It's, it's really a, a customizable fixed rate uh, and hedging solution for borrowers that kind of want more, um, more tailored uh, you know, risk perspective than, than if they just went to a bank and asked for a plain old traditional you know, bank loan. And so if I could recap that a little bit, you, you can protect your your nearby interest on a loan for a period of years, three years, five years. We're at the bank. You're you're typically on an annual renewal type term for your operating note. Every year they renew it. So if interest rates are higher next year and you don't do anything to hedge that risk, you're effectively going to have a higher interest rate. And the swap product, you know, if that interest rate were to move in that term from one year to the next, it's going to be paying you that interest rate gain, and you're going to be paying you know the, the fixed amount of interest on the swap. Therefore, you have a, a little extra money in that account to help cover the interest that you had on your note. Conversely, 
it's always fun to talk about what happens if it works in the direction that you think it's going. But if the market were to go down, you now have got some, you're, you're paying on that swap, right? I'm going to call that a margin because most of the people listening understand some margin. So you're going to have some margin on that product, but you're going to be paying cheaper interest at the bank. So you effectively, that's the hedge portion of that, that type of strategy or, or tool implementation. Is that said correctly? Yes, that's, uh, that's right. And, um, it's important to plan for higher rates and lower rates. So that's why I always like to think about, you know, starting with that 50, 50 floating versus fixed rate exposure as a starting point, uh, when thinking about how much risk you're willing to take. And Josh, you explained that, um, doing it, you know, on the, the exchange or whatever allows more flexibility. Could you elaborate on where that flexibility might be useful? Like in, in two years, why would I want to have, why would it maybe be advantageous to be in a flexible position versus something fixed? Sure. Um, refinance risk, maybe two years down the road, uh, you think the, the Fed is going to raise rates so high, so fast it causes a recession and they'll have to cut rates. And you want to take advantage of that by, by maybe refinancing in two years. Maybe a fixed rate swap with uh, a fixed rate with a swap for two years. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's customizable in, in every sense of the word. So even even I've seen clients with uh, construction projects going on, and you know they think they're going to go through construction over the next twelve to eighteen months, uh, and then the, and then their 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 perm loan kicks in, and they're worried about rates rising over that period of time. You know, a swap can be used to uh, to, to lock in that rate 18, 12 months uh, into the future. Um, before rates start to rise, so it's you can you can change that start date to align with with construction projects too, and um, you know I would arguably the the three most common ways interest rate hedging products is, is the dollar amount, the start date, and the maturity date. By changing the the dollar amount, you're really you're you're tilting the scales of of how much dollars are floating and how many dollars are fixed from the business. Um, by changing the start date. You know, you're allowing yourself to pay floating interest rates now and then down the road, a fixed rate kick in. And then by changing the maturity date, you know, you're locking in fixed rates now and then leaving some room on the back end. Do what you will with that floating rate debt. Gotcha. So back it up to today. Now, if, if you're sitting here listening to this podcast and you maybe want to do any do something about this, what would you where would you recommend a starting point for operations that are listening? I think a good starting point is to do some self-reflection and, and look look down at the balance sheet. Look historically how much debt has been used. Uh, is it a lot of floating rate debt? That means you have a lot of risk on the table. Uh, and, and to reach out to us and see what we can do and, and formulate um, the right solution for you. You know, it's. I think it, it all comes down to um, you know, no one's no one uses debt same way. Everyone uses their operating line in different ways, um, and that's what's what's beautiful about over-the-counter products is that they're really built to suit. They aren't something that you just grab off the shelf uh, and, and use. They're, they're more specific uh, to the borrower and, and what they want to do. And um, doing some self-reflection, you know, analyzing how much floating rate debt is, is out there, how much risk does a balance sheet have if the Fed does rates rates to 4%, 5%, you know, you know what, what is at risk here? Uh, and then maybe controlling for that risk with, uh, with taking at least half of that off the table. What should our listeners be watching out for in the in the near term future here? Well, next week is a is a big week uh, because uh, it is uh, the last week before the Fed meeting uh, in May. Uh, there's a few big 
economic reports coming out like uh, like PMI, uh, the purchaser purchasing managers index, uh, something called the PCE, uh, the personal consumption expenditures index, and uh, in the and another GDP report. So it's so it's a big week next week, and uh, and then come the May fourth meeting. So May fourth is the next Fed meeting where they announce uh, what they're doing with 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 the federal funds rate and what they're going to do with their balance sheet. Uh, and, and that's the next very important date to, to have on the calendar. And, you know, if last year was, uh, was, was more or less driven by conversations about, about rate hikes and you know, what the Fed's going to do next and how high the Fed is going to take rates later this year, that conversation is going to tilt, you know, sort of in a different direction and, and, what the Fed is going to do with their balance sheet will be the next topic of conversation. So that's that's really what I'm looking for uh, out of the May meeting. And so those reports are kind of economic health checks, right? That uh, people that are watching those reports say, oh, things look like they're bad or, or explain those reports that you said that are kind of critical coming out here. Mm-hmm. So at the end of the day, the, the Fed is, is kind of um, looking at the economic situation as a whole, even though that... Congress has mandated them to do only two things, uh, which is control inflation and, and maximize employment. Arguably, they're only doing half of their job at this point. But they do look at other reports to kind of you know build out a picture of how they view the economy. So these ancillary reports that we get, like um, like these different index reports, like uh, like PMI, for example, it's just another tool, another uh, data point that they can look at and say, you know, yes, maybe inflation is coming down from you know the PMI index, but maybe it's higher in these other ones. And they take that holistic view of, of what, what's happening in the economy and what they should do with policy rates next. Something, something interesting enough, that, so PMI is, 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 is a type of inflation report. PCE, um, that's, that's the Fed's preferred inflation measure. And, uh, and that is expected to actually start slowing down here. So it'll be interesting to see, you know, even if we start to see a, you know, a rolling over of, of inflation or we've seen peak inflation, how does that change the Fed's stance on, on bringing rates higher? You know, does that slow down the pace of rate hikes, you know, or are they kind of cemented in place at this point? It'll be interesting to watch. Josh, is there anything as we kind of get towards the end of this that we have not covered that you think is important to be paying attention to, to those um, in the ag, ag business world that re- related to rates, anything that, that we didn't cover that you think is worth mentioning? Yeah, I think what's important to remember here is that um, if you've never thought about interest rate risk, right, you know, what is the risk that, you know, rates rise and what does that do to the business? Start by looking at your operating line. In, in the agribusiness world, that's, that's basically where all of the exposure is held, right? Commodity prices are rising, operating lines are being used more and more. So it's important to look at maybe historically how much of that line has been used, right? Maybe it's one million, two million, and then maybe start and then look into the future. Is that something? Uh, those trends, something that you expect to continue? Uh, maybe you expect more of that line to be used in the future. Maybe maybe less, and then do some analysis. You know what happens? Uh, you know if I have to pay four percent more of interest here, five percent more in interest here. You know how much risk is on the table? Would I like to take some of that risk off and maybe just pay two percent fixed rate instead? Well, then maybe that's the right route to go. But I think. Um, I think starting with your operating line and figuring out how much risk there is with it is, is a great place to start that conversation. Awesome. Yeah, I think uh, like anything, 
most people won't take action on it, Josh, until they understand it. And and one of our goals of the the podcast today was to at least put something in front of the listeners that they can start to educate themselves about and understand there is some solutions to this potential risk and that even though you haven't done it before, you're not familiar with it, and maybe it makes some sense to start exploring. And at the end of the day, it, you know, it's all about controlling expenses, controlling risk, and managing margin. For the first time in a long time, it seems like interest rates is going to be a more significant risk than what we've been maybe gotten used to in the last several years. I mean, I, I maybe even more than several years. I know in 2008, you know, we were looking at some term notes at 7 or 8%, and we've worked our way all the way down. So that was 7 and 8% for 10-year money was cheap back then. And so we've this is a pretty mm-hmm. long period of time of, of low interest rates, and it it seems to me that with with the cost of goods going up like they are with inflation, uh, the amount of money we're going to use, at least in the near term, is going to be substantially higher. And, you know, mm-hmm. in, in interest, honestly, is one of those things we just haven't, we don't spend much time on because it's just been cheap. But it could, <clears throat> be, it could be a difference maker depending on what uh, the operational setup is. So we appreciate you taking time coming on. Hopefully this was valuable. I don't know, Trevor, you got anything yes, that you want to add here? To No, Josh, just if people want to learn more, um, is there a way they can reach out to you and, and learn more? Yeah, yeah I mean, you could, uh, stonex.com, there's an interest rate, uh, you know, icon there. You can click on it and submit your information, uh, and I'll reach out and, and we'll, get, we'll get in touch. Um, but I understand these, these, are, these are not easy concepts and topics to digest in, in 30 minutes. Um, so if you have any questions, feel free to call, email me. Uh, my email is joshcannington at stonex.com. And I've got, you know, a library of materials that, that I can send you um, to help you understand these products. Um, you know, at, maybe at first glance they're complicated, but, but I promise you they're, they're not uh, with a few uh, extra conversations. Yeah, for most of these operations that are listening, and even for us here, you know, we work with corn and hogs and cattle and grains every day. And even though operations, that's what they do, it's still sometimes a tough concept to understand risk management and the hedging process. And so now you're talking about a financial instrument that they're really foreign to. You know, even even a good slide deck, Josh, would be helpful that, you know, just break it down. You did a great job today breaking it down, but verbally understanding something and putting some visual aids to it kind of creates some extra level learning there. And maybe some tools like that exist that if people are interested, I'm sure they can find those at, uh, at the website there by reaching out to you. And we appreciate you taking time today. It's been a pleasure working with you. It's been a pleasure having you on and, and we look forward to uh, seeing what all can happen in this crazy world of inflation and interest rate <laughs> movements and commodity prices and uh, geopolitical turmoil. It's a, it's an interesting time. Yeah. It's uh thanks for having me guys. Really appreciate it. It's been an honor and, uh, and we'll, and we'll talk soon. All right. Thank you, Josh. Thanks, Josh. Appreciate yep. it. Thanks for listening to today's episode. We hope you enjoyed it and were able to take something beneficial back to the farmer office. Be sure to check us out on our website, future-profits.com. There you can learn a little bit more about us, check out our consulting services, and view our product offerings. If you have any topic ideas or things you have questions about, feel free to drop us an email at contact at future-profits.com. Give us a follow on Twitter, at future underscore profits to stay up to date on the podcast. Until next time.
There is a risk of loss in futures and options trading. We discuss profitability as it pertains to the business as a whole and not the hedging account specifically. The information contained in this publication is taken from sources believed to be reliable but is not guaranteed by FPC nor any other affiliates, subsidiary, or employee collectively referred to as FPC and is intended for the purpose of information and education only. Nothing therein should be considered as a trading recommendation by FPC. Past performance is not indicative of future results.